You may be seated. We turn in God's Word tonight to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, as we continue our study of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 8. We will be considering this evening the 21 verses that begin the chapter as that continues on in the same theme. Although we're dealing with different settings, the theme of those verses remains the same. Mark 8, starting then at verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I sent them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people. They set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into a boat with the disciples and went to the district of Dalmanon. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you see not? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of your word. We often do not um, follow it. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he preaches on this word, that you will guide him. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. So if we begin with the last question, how would you and I answer that tonight? Do you not yet understand? That's a curious place where the passage ends here in Mark, isn't it? It's left sort of up in the air. Do you not yet understand? Understand what might be our question? Understand what these feedings have been about. Do you not yet understand? Lord willing, if we're struggling with the answer to that question, Lord willing, by the time that we are finished this evening, perhaps we'll have a little bit better understanding not only what Jesus was asking, but we might have a better way of answering the question. In order to do so, let's look at three things regarding these 21 verses. First of all, the place where this miracle of feeding these 4,000 men took place. Secondly, the reason why the miracle itself happened. And thirdly, the facts that go along with the miracle. And then finally, the message that the miracle brings. First of all, the place of the miracle. Mark has been very careful that when Jesus makes a move, he tells us. Actually, in this passage, he tells us of two moves. So when Jesus goes somewhere, Mark informs us. He got in a boat and went here. Or Jesus walked along the seashore and went here. Or he goes here or he goes there. Mark is is the gospel writer who is taking us on a geographical journey. Mark, more than any of the other gospel writers, shows us the map of where Jesus is going. Which is quite something because when you look at verse 1, there's no movement. Jesus has not gone anywhere. You say, well, why do you emphasize that, Pastor Bob? Because where were we last week? See, if Jesus hasn't moved in the beginning of chapter 8, if there is no movement, then whatever is taking place here in the, or whatever is taking place, it's taking place at the same place where we were last Lord's Day. You say, well, where were, you, where were we last Lord's Day? Well, let's go back to chapter 731. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And he hasn't moved. We're still there. We're still there in the region of Decapolis. Matthew, in his gospel, recording this, okay, reads it this way. He went on from there, walked by the Sea of Galilee. He goes to Decapolis. Then it reads, Then Jesus called his disciples to them. I have compassion on this crowd because they've now been with me these three days. Then, 
Matthew makes it plain that it's right after Jesus has been involved in these healings that took place at the end of chapter 7 of Mark. We're still there. But you see, this is the second feeding. See, you might have asked yourself the question, why does Jesus feed two large crowds twice? It was in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus fed the crowd of 5,000. And much of what we read here, uh, it's not the same, but it certainly kind of fits the same mold. It's basically the same story with some of the facts changed a little bit, but it's basically the same thing. Jesus takes some bread, some fish, and he feeds a large crowd of people. He did that in Mark 6. Why does he do it again? Because of where we are. We are in Decapolis. What makes that unique? The first feeding was in Jewish territory. The first feeding was a feeding, a miraculous feeding of fish and bread for a Jewish crowd, for a Jewish audience. Those who are present are all Jewish. I know that because Jews are not allowed to eat with Gentiles. Which makes this second feeding, if you recall, Decapolis is Gentile territory. So there has been a miraculous feeding for the Jewish people. Now there is a miraculous feeding for the Gentiles. And I know they're Gentiles because no Jew eats with the Gentiles. So these are two separate occasions intended for two separate audiences. One Jewish, one Gentile. So one way of answering Jesus' question of, do you not yet understand, is to say, yes, Jesus, I understand that your coming is for both Jews and Gentiles. I understand that you have come to save the lost of this world, whether they be of Jewish blood or whether they be of Gentile blood. Do you understand the lesson of the miraculous feeding of 4,000 Gentiles is to teach the disciples one lesson that he has come to be savior for men of all tribes, of all nations, of all languages, and all tongues. Hence, our children's illustration of this evening, a reminder of that. But there is more. We see here in Mark chapter 8 something else happening. Jesus gives us his reason for doing the miracle. Look with me at verse 2. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Why is Jesus going 
to provide for them food. Two reasons. One, they have been with him for three days. Now, outside of the profound interest of the fact that it's three days and the symbolical point that that is being made about his own death and resurrection, that they have not left him in these three days. There's, there's something very profound going on. But it's also the fact they stayed there for three days to listen to Jesus. Now, most of the time at 11.45, at 6.45, we're going, okay, time to wrap it up, Pastor Bob. We got, we got other stuff to do. We got to get moving. Three days. And they're not hoofing it off to Old Country Buffet or to Pizza Ranch in between. They're in a desolate place. Three days they're with Jesus, just listening, just soaking it in. These are not the kind of crowds that happen in Jewish territory. These Gentiles are passionate to hear Christ. And remember, if we put the whole story together, where does this large crowd of some 4,000 come from? comes from the work of a man named Legion who was sent back to his family and told, tell them what I have done. And when Jesus returns, there are great crowds who are just listening, taking in the spiritual truth that is being given to them. The passion the commitment of these people. They've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. I wonder sometimes in 21st century America, and I know it's really theoretical, but I do wonder sometimes in 21st century America, if Jesus actually were to appear, how many people would be passionate enough to go hear him? And how many people would be passionate enough to sit on a hillside and listen to him for three days? I do kind of wonder that sometimes. Well, that was nice. You, that, was a, that was a good 45-minute sermon, Jesus, but i got other stuff to do. And I've been here. I, I had bus class yesterday. Six hours of bus class. Hour and a half learning how to strap a toddler into a school bus seat. I'd be willing to listen to Jesus for six hours. But I constantly have to have the cell phone out looking, is there anything else I can occupy my time with? Three days. 
Do you not understand yet? Do you not understand the passion of those who desire to hear me? Don't be listening to the Pharisees and Herod. They're not giving you the truth. They're not speaking to you the truth. Don't follow that line of thinking. Don't follow that way of the world. Don't follow that way of legalism. Don't follow that way of just giving in to the world and getting as much out of the world as you can. Don't listen to the leaven of the Pharisees. Be like those who for three days listen. Do you not yet understand? But look at the other reason Jesus gives. I have compassion on them. The reason I am about to perform a miracle is not for some sideshow. It's not for some entertainment. It's not because I want to win them over. It's not because I want to give such a significant sign that they're going to go, oh, he must be the Messiah, and they're going to fall on their knees and declare me to be the Messiah and the Lord, and they're going to give me glory and honor and praise. I want to feed them because I have compassion upon them. Compassion, simplified as this, caring put into action. It's not just being concerned. Compassion is when you see a need, you are motivated to action. That's what Jesus has here. He sees a need, and that need motivates him into action. He has compassion A reminder of that math or at Mark 6:34. And he looked upon the crowd and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was motivated to action. He was motivated to do something. Here, because of their circumstances and situation, should I send them away? They're gonna faint on the way. I will provide bread for them. Because I have compassion, I am going to do something because I care about their circumstances. The disciples are in the boat arguing about bread. Do you not understand? That if you were hungry, do you think I would not care enough for you to provide you with bread? He could have well said when you were out there and the storm was raging and you thought you were going to die. Did you think I would not care? Do you not understand the compassion that I have for you? 
Well, thirdly, let's go through some of the facts of this miracle. The food, we are told, are seven loaves and some fish. We're not actually given a number, just some small fish. Some record it. This is what Jesus has to work with, but it could have been six, it could have been five, it could have been one. It really doesn't matter. He really didn't even need any loaves, did he? He is the one who is the all-sufficient one. He's the one who called forth light. There is no light. He's the one who calls forth the earth when there is no earth. He's the one who calls forth stars and planets. He doesn't need the physical bread in order to perform the miracle. It's not part of the trick. It is simply the means by which he is going to use for a very specific reason. Seven loaves and some fish. But one of the things to note in this occasion is that Jesus prays. He actually prays on two occasions. That was unique. It's the Jewish custom to pray once before a meal. Jesus actually prays twice. He prays for both the bread and then he prays for the fish. Why? Why is Jesus praying? Is Jesus' prayer, do you suppose, Lord, I really don't have the strength to do this, so Lord, I'm looking to you to give me the strength to be able to perform this miracle of feeding 4,000 men. He's not praying for that. He's praying words of thanks for that which he knows is already going to happen. But it is a reminder to this Gentile crowd that his source and that who he's looking to is indeed the Father. He's not reaching into his magician's bag of tricks. Remember, these people are these people are basically pagans. There's all sorts of strange ideas going on in their minds about what people are able to do and, and the miracles that people are supposedly allowed to perform. Jesus wants to make it very clear to this Gentile crowd. Now, this is a spiritual matter. This is between the Lord and myself. Thirdly, a third fact is the fact that the scripture makes it plain that he breaks the bread. In fact, when he talks to the disciples about this, he, he reiterates that again when they're in the boat crossing. Remember how I broke the bread. And then in verse 20, and the second time, how many broken pieces did you take? There's something about this broken bread, isn't there? Of course there is. In a few short chapters, Jesus is going to be standing in an upper room and he's going to take bread and he's going to break it. And he's going to give it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This, this very deliberate act of taking these loaves and breaking them and breaking them and breaking them 
is not only pointing to his own death, his own giving of himself, but also the fulfillment that is found in his being broken. As he breaks the bread, what happens? They are filled. They are satisfied. As that bread is broken over and over and over again, their stomachs are filled. Even as Christ will be broken upon that cross, so we are filled. Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet get it, men? That I'm going to give myself for you. I have so much compassion for you. I'm going to die for you. I care so much for you. I am willing to lay down my life for you. Fourth, there is indeed the fullness. They are satisfied. They're given the pieces of the bread and the fish. Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. And then we're told again, there's leftovers. They took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And we go, well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? The last time we had 12 baskets full, now we've got seven. Well, that's a very nice biblical number, wholeness, completeness. Yeah, but there's one little problem. You go back to Mark chapter 6, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and you read they took up 12 baskets full. The Greek word that is used there to describe the basket is a Greek word that describes a hand basket. Something that you would hold in your hands. It's, no, it, it's like it's, it's not a huge object. It's, it's just a, a basket that fits into your hands. Some of you perhaps remember having uh, the... Well, let's use this one. I was going to use collection bags, but... Think of when we pass the bread at communion. A basket, a hand basket. That's what that is, a hand basket. The Greek word is kofanoth. But the word that's used here in Mark chapter 8, although in English it still comes out basket, is actually hamper. The same word is used if you go to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, after his conversion, needs to get out of Damascus because the Jews are plotting to kill him. So pick it up, Acts 9, 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That is Paul. But their plot became known to Saul, hasn't yet changed his name to Paul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. 
Now let's just suppose that Paul might have been a little less weighty than I am. Let's just picture Paul being lowered down in one of our communion bread baskets, shall we? See, because that's the word that's in Mark 6. But here, it's hamper. Now get the picture of Paul, as a fully grown adult, being able to fit inside of this thing, probably being able to duck down into it, so that he is lowered down without anybody being able to see, hey, there's a person going over in a basket. A hamper. Seven hampers full of bread. Yes, the numbers are different. One is 12, one is seven. But the size difference is enormous. How much did I provide? How many hampers full? They're on the boat. They're arguing. How oh, we only got one loaf of bread. Man, somebody should have taken another loaf of bread. Jesus is trying to teach them a spiritual truth, and they're worried about physical bread. And finally, Jesus says, how many hampers full did you get last time, guys? Uh, seven. Do you think I can supply what you need? Do you not yet understand that I am the one who can supply all that you need? For we are told again, there were 4,000 men. If you include women and children, once again, we have a crowd of some 10,000 being supplied from a few loaves and fish. There are some, if you, you could run into them in various commentaries, liberal theologians who try to say, oh, Mark's just making up a second story to reiterate the first. It's very clear when you read the rest of this chapter, isn't it? Jesus knows there's been two. If this is but one story, then Jesus is a liar. Because he asks them, how many, when you had the 5,000, how many? When you had the 4,000, how many? Obviously, there are two distinct miracles here. Given for two distinct reasons and purposes. But the disciples do not yet get it. So what is the message that we come away with here? What is really going on in this chapter? Well, we get to part of it when we get to the Pharisees. Jesus crosses the other side. He's back in Jewish territory. What's the first thing he's asked for? Show us a sign. Meet our demands. Do what we tell you. How many signs, how many miracles did Jesus have to perform? He's already been here. He's already been in this exact place and has performed miracle upon miracle upon miracle. He has already demonstrated to them signs and signs and signs. Mark tells us Jesus' answer was rather short. 
besides. A sigh of disbelief. A sigh of thinking how the world is in rebellion to him and the Father. No sign. No sign will be given to this generation. I'm not going to do your bidding. In Matthew, there is added this statement. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. As the Son of Man was in the, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and three nights. You want a sign? There's your sign. But I'm not answering your call here. I guess we kind of get it with the Pharisees, don't we? There's just plain unbelief. They just will not accept. But the disciples, it's a little bit different, isn't it? But Jesus runs into the same issue with them. As we've stated several times, they're just not getting it. Do you not yet understand? This lack of understanding. What is it they don't get? What is it that Jesus was, was looking for them to have the light bulb go on and to say at that moment? Because there is no answer from them. Do you not yet understand? Nobody stands up and says, well, Jesus, I think I got an idea. Let, let, me, let me put this past you. Am I on the right track? There's nothing. There's just silence. So what would, what would Jesus have wanted to hear at this point? What should have been the answer of the disciples? Here it is. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are the true bread. We don't need the legalism of the Pharisees, and we don't need the liberalism of Herod. You are the living bread. You are all that we need. And you are the one who is able to fully satisfy. All Jesus wants them to do is to repeat that which he has said, I am the bread of life. Jesus, we get it. You fed 5,000. You fed 4,000. We're talking about physical bread here and wondering if we're going to have enough. And you're telling us you are the bread of life, so stop worrying about these things. You care for us. You have compassion for us. You supply all that we need. With you, we will never, ever be lacking.
Turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. All Jesus is looking for is for the disciples to respond and to say, Lord, with you, we lack nothing. Do you understand? Our life is not made up of our bank accounts, our degrees, our trucks, our trophies. Our life is not made up of our families. Our life is not made up of our homes, our clothing. Our life is not made up of our status. Our life is made up in the fullness of Jesus Christ. He is all we need. When you journey to places where they don't have all that we have, they're living in bare bones. But they are the most contented people in the world because they have Jesus. They lack nothing. In fact, the peace, the contentment that they have with so little sets us to shame. I sometimes wonder if we're really doing them a favor by giving them stuff. Are we really helping? Are we really being a benefit? When we introduce all the stuff of our lives, Stuff that distracts, stuff that takes us away. You know, you hear stories of the believers in Haiti who have absolutely nothing. But they're rejoicing in the Lord. And here we are. We've got so much. And we're so miserable. Maybe the missionaries ought to come from there to teach us how to be satisfied with Christ. That's all we need. Oh, there are the blessings that come. Remember where we were with Job? Of course God gives the blessings. But when it really comes down to it, is Jesus all you really need? That's what he was asking those disciples.
do you understand that in the final realities of life, I am all you need. They had no answer. I pray to God that we have an answer. Yes, Lord. Those who look to you lack no good thing. Because you see, when you have Jesus, you have the one who is all sufficient. And God's people say, amen. Father, thank you for your word, for its challenge to us tonight, for its blessing to us tonight, for its encouragement in our walk of faith. Father, we thank you for those who set such a beautiful, godly example for us as believers in Jesus Christ, who live with so little, but yet, Father, find their fulfillment and filling and satisfaction in Christ. Father, tear us, tear us from these things that so easily entangle. Let us live fully satisfied in Christ alone. In his name we pray. God's people say, amen.